welcome to a Friday night edition of Jocks and Locks. Here with my partner, Rhino. Rhino, how are you tonight, bud? Doing well, Dewey. How are you doing? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Excited for this uh, podcast tonight on a Friday night. Uh, we're going to hop right in. Uh, first episode, I uh, call it driving range tonight. We're going to talk a little golf. Golf is in the air. Baseball's in the air. We're going to start off with a little golf. Uh, this uh, this segment brought to you by Reliance Propane. As you know, our friends at Reliance Propane, serving the greater Northwest Ohio area for over 80 years. Reliance Propane, you can rely on us. And Ryan, I want you to start us off with some golf news. So hey, Dewey, we're 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 back in the full swing of things, literally, um, with the golf season now. Um, ever since the PGA Tour kind of went to this wraparound season where they started late um, the season before. Um, it's been kind of weird, but now we're in full swing with the 2019 season. Um, we had a tournament going on right now, the Genesis, Genesis Open. Um, they actually did not play much yesterday um, due to some weather. So they're trying to cram it in today, the first couple of rounds. Um, we got some updates on that. Jordan Spieth is your leader. He shot a seven under bogey free round today. Um, to finish off his first round, he's at the top of the leaderboard. Um, he, he his putting's looking a lot better, which is good because when when you go back to his 2015 season when he dominated everybody, uh, the guy was dangerous on the putting green. And the, p- the past year has been kind of down for him with that with the flat stick. So it's good to see him putting well again starting this new season. We got a couple other big names up there: Justin Thomas, Adam Scott, Tony Finau. Um, and, and so it's looking like, uh, it's going to be a good tournament. Um, we had, uh, Tiger Woods just finished his first round. He shot a one under, um, analyzing his round. He struck the ball well, um, missed a couple putts, had a couple three putts that, that probably cost him. Um, but he is actually going to tee off his second round, um, here shortly. So he's got a little short turnaround, uh, as they're trying to get the tournament in. Hey, Ryan, um, real, yeah, real quick, going back to yesterday, I know they uh, suspended play, and I know there was a few golfers on the course uh, as they suspended it and then actually restarted the tournament. Uh, from my recollection, I can't remember a tournament where that's actually happened before. And what on God's green earth could you be thinking if you're the officials to start that tournament knowing that rain was in the forecast? It seems like to me, similar to baseball, if you see rain in the forecast, you don't run the starting pitchers out to throw one and two-thirds of an inning to bag them up for another five days. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I'd never seen anything like it before. I think there were ten groups that were out that went out in the morning. Um, and it was actually funny. Phil Mickelson was, was in one of those groups. In his first hole, he drove it into the bunker and then hit, hit it up to the greenside bunker. And then it just it, the conditions were so bad, he couldn't even stop the ball out of the, the wet sand. So he ended up going back to the other side of the green into the other bunker and ended up pulling out for a par. But um, like, like, like we had mentioned, it didn't count. So yeah, they, they had 10 groups on the course and they, and they just said the conditions were so bad. And, you know, there was a couple guys that were one under, but everybody else was, uh, you know, over par for the most part. So it was just, it was kind of one of those, the PGA tour stepped in and said, Hey, you know, these conditions are just brutal. It wouldn't be fair for us to do this. There's only 10 groups out here. Let's just go ahead and restart the whole thing. Again, I had never seen anything like it. It was very bizarre, but 
but there is that. And going back to Phil Mickelson, um, this is looking ahead a little bit. Last week he ended up winning at Pebble Beach, um, which I think is very interesting because he's had a really good track record there. And as some of you may know, the the U.S. Open is at Pebble Beach this year. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be going, so I'm super excited about that. But could this be the year that that Phil finally gets that U.S. Open? And that's a big question because – I don't know how many how many more years he has left to even try for that. And Pebble Beach, that's one of his go-to courses. So it should be interesting to see what happens over the summer. Yeah, I, I think Phil is obviously uh, tapering off uh, career-wise, but you know he does show glimpses sometimes. You know he can he can string four four rounds together, and you know you kind of wonder if it's the old Mickelson back or if it's just a glimpse of it. Uh, you know. I really do like the, the like Big Lefty. I think he's had obviously a, a Hall of Fame career, uh, and I have nothing to not like about the guy. And so uh, I think this golf season is going to be another another uh, very intriguing, uh, very intriguing season. I think uh, Tiger Woods is the guy that obviously is going to bring people to the television screen. I don't think it's the likes of Bubba Watson and Justin Thomas and Justin Rose and, and Dustin Johnson and all these other Dustins and Justins and whoever the hell else is out there. The guy that moves the needles, Tiger Woods. And, you know, you might not like what he did and you probably probably don't like what he did off the course and you, and rightfully so, but what he does for the game of golf and the, and the sport itself is unprecedented. And so it's always fun to watch the red on Sunday. And mm-hmm. uh, I sure as hell know I'll be tuning in if, old Mr. Woods is climbing up that leaderboard. Correct. Uh, Rhino, let me ask you something. Have you heard anything on how Matt Kuchar's doing this week? Uh, No, and I really don't care how he's doing this week, and I hope he's doing terrible, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'll tell you what. This one kind of hit me me in a personal personal way. I heard the story regarding Matt Kuchar back in November. Uh, He played in a tournament. Uh, the Manicaba Classic uh, down in Mexico. Uh, his regular caddy actually couldn't make the trip. So uh, he was able to find a, a local caddy who obviously knew the course relatively well. And uh, he actually agreed with the caddy. So they made a, I guess, a mutual agreement. Uh, if he made the cut, uh, excuse me, if he missed the cut, he would only get paid $1,000. Made the cut, 2000 uh, Top 20 finish would ran him three cat 3,000 and 4,000 uh, for a top 10. So there was never any discussion regarding him actually winning the tournament. So uh, after four grueling rounds down in Mexico, uh, Matt Kuchar was fortunate enough to take home uh, the, the title and won the tournament winning uh, $1.296 million. And in return gave his caddy uh, $5,000. Now um. I am actually a math major, um, and so that is uh, 0.4% of what his total purse was uh, when the going rate on the, on the PGA Tour is 10%. Now, I know there's been a lot of pushback from others that think, well, he wasn't his full-time caddy. I get that. And that they agreed on a certain amount of money depending on how Kuchar played. I also get that. But the fact of the matter is, is I compare it to compared to something like this. All right. If I go to my favorite restaurant, right. And I get an ex- exceptional service by the waiter or waitress 
All right. But that waiter or waitress is somebody new, right? Somebody I don't know that, that I have a, I have a waitress or waiter that, that always waits on me, but this one's a new waiter or waitress. And after a great night, great service, I have a hundred dollar bill tab and I tip them 38 cents. Not only that, I have a lot of scraps. So I take a couple doggy bags out and leave them at the table. And so then I make the waiter or waitress bring them out to me and lug it out to my car for a quarter, a dime and three pennies. That's unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, this is pretty embarrassing for a guy on tour who was looked at and revered as a, as one of the really good human beings on tour. And I was fortunate enough as well to caddy for 10 years and was uh, able to caddy for an LPGA golfer uh, on the tour for back-to-back weeks. Now that LPGA LPGA tour golfer was fighting for a tour card and uh, was just simply trying to make ends meet. Uh, Fortunate enough to caddy for those two weeks. We made two cuts and actually she made two cuts. I carried her bed and, 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 and helped read a few putts, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, she made a measly few grand and paid me 3500 for a combined two weeks. When this gentleman wins, helps win Matt Kuchar a spot in the winner's circle and pays him a whopping $5,000. That's, I, I do, yeah, I, I just, that's unheard of. I think Matt Kuchar again was was one of those guys who everybody just liked. He was just kind of that guy. He's a journeyman. You know, he's always making cuts. He's made a strong living on the PGA Tour. Um, sure, he doesn't maybe have the win totals or the majors as some of the other top guys, but the guy is just always there on the weekend, and he's always cashing checks. And and here was a here was an opportunity, a golden opportunity to cement his uh, legacy and in in the view that people had of him. And he just flat out blew it. I mean, he he, the fact that he sat there and and and, and is still trying to justify paying a guy five thousand dollars, you know, I don't care if it's a kid, you know. You could yeah, have, it doesn't. You could have made this guy's life. I mean, he could have paid him a hundred thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars, and made this guy's life. And instead, he says something along the lines of, "Well, five thousand dollars was a good pay payday, considering he only makes two hundred dollars a day." I mean, come on. And, what, what kind and of, that's where and that's where I draw the line. Says that? That's where I draw the line. Listen. David Ortiz, the, the caddy, went back and asked for fifty thousand dollars after he was offered five thousand. They rebuttaled with fifteen, and simply, if he was asking for fifty thousand, he's asking for three point eight five percent of Kuchar's winnings. As I said, the going rate on tour is roughly ten percent, especially if the if the golfer wins the tournament. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but any golfer that wins a tournament on the PGA Tour must have all facets of his game locked in for that week, on point. Has to, right? right? You're playing against the best golfers in the world. Your swing, your short game, your putting, and even most importantly, your mental game has to be on par. No pun intended. To have someone around you and following you with your clubs for eight hours a day, 
So four to four and a half for a round, one to one and a half for warm up, post round, you know, whatever you wanted to work on. There must be some type of mutual trust or understanding and a sense of comfort having a guy like that around you as you compete against the best golfers in the world. Even Correct. if David Ortiz L2 can simply carried the clubs and gave zero advice without any reading of putts or any yardage, which is most likely not true because he was a local, he deserves every bit of the 10% going rate for helping Kuchar win that tournament. 100%. 100% agree. I, I just think this is an absolute – I. You know, it, and it kills me because you can go on social media and you can see people sticking up for Kuchar. And it, and it just bugs the hell out of me. It really does. I mean, wh- how can people sit here and go, that guy, again, I'm going to say, had the opportunity to make someone's life for what? You know, I, I don't know how much Matt Kuchar's won on, on, on the tour, but w- between his tour winnings and his sponsorships and everything else, the, the man's made a million solid- dollars. Yeah, right. The man's made a solid career and has a solid net worth. What's $100,000? What's $50,000? It's unbelievable. And he, he definitely blew it. And, and I am no longer a fan of Matt Kuchar's. And, and I have no problem rooting against the guy. And it'll be interesting to see, too, with the three big sponsors he has that he wears on his shirt and his hat, Bridgestone, Workday, and Skechers, what they do uh, after this has all come full circle. And it's just unfortunate that it's come to this uh, after he doubled down by uh, simply uh, referring to how much the caddy made during the week and how a $5,000 payday should be a quote-unquote good week for him. So we're going to stop the rant there and would like to tell you our podcast today is sponsored by the Black Tux. And we're going to get into our second segment of the night called batting practice. Uh, Tonight, we're not going to talk about much big league baseball, if any. But we are going to uh, travel down memory lane for me. Uh, I was a college baseball player at one point, coached a little bit as well. was fortunate enough to coach a lot of great players. I played against a lot of great players. But today is opening day uh, for Division I college baseball. And we just... Here at uh, Jackson Locks, want to recognize one special individual in this game for uh, over 40, almost 40 years now, and it's the head coach at Florida State University, uh, Mike Martin. As some people know him as Seven, uh, the number he wears. Uh, you know, weather might not be ideal everywhere uh, today, but I'm telling you what, the teams north of the Mason-Dixon line might be seeing grass for the first time all spring, but I can assure you, that it's not the first time that Coach Mike Martin is, uh, and, and the Florida State Seminoles have seen grass. That team has been uh, a juggernaut in college baseball uh, for the latter part of four decades. And uh, today marks actually the, op- the final opening day for uh, Mike Martin as the head coach of the Florida State Seminoles. He's actually going to step down after the year is over. And uh, over this illustrious career, some of the statistics he's compiled are simply simply remarkable. So over his 40-year career, Martin has compiled 1,987 wins over a uh, 38-year career. Uh, a, a 736 winning percentage is seventh all-time among all college baseball coaches with over 1,100 wins. So that's a pretty 
uh, a pretty illustrious and, 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 and uh, small group for Mr. Martin. And since taking over at Florida State, he's won 40 games or more in 38 consecutive seasons. Mm. And of those 38 consecutive, of those 38 seasons, all 38, he has went to the went to an NCAA, at least an NCAA regional. Uh, Twenty six of those were super regional appearances, and fifteen of those, uh, as a member of the eight teams, comprised in Omaha at the College World Series. He's made fifteen appearances to the College World Series. That's equivalent to uh, Coach Shashevsky making it to fifteen Elite Eights, which is pretty pretty incredible. And of those wow. 15 appearances, he has finished runner-up twice. So it all comes down to the missing piece on an, an, an incredible resume for Mr. Mike Martin, and he has actually never won a College World Series. So with that being said, that Hall of Fame resume is second to none. Uh, he is the all-time leader in, in college baseball victories overall college coaches. And to be quite honest with you, I've never been a fan of Florida State baseball, but I respect the hell out of Mike Martin and the respect I have for him is unmatched. The, what he's done for the, the, for the NCAA and college baseball uh, will never be repaid to him. Uh, but for all the players out there that he's coached, I, I, I know that the rapport uh, of him is, is highly regarded and, um, his tenure and career surely will not be tarnished one ounce if he doesn't win a national title this year. But could the stars possibly align and in 2019 let the Seminoles bring the hardware back from Omaha? Dewey, I've got something for you. I've actually got a great opportunity. I'm actually going to go to one of their games this weekend. So I'll give you a little inside scoop and see if they'll, they'll have the talent to get that done. Yeah, I'd love to hear what they look like this year. I know they're a younger team. Uh, I, I believe they're picking the top half of the ACC. The ACC is a gauntlet, so same as the SEC. It's, you know, a lot of these teams that are ranked in the ranked preseason, it's really hard to gauge. You know, teams blossom at different times, might blossom early. They get in the SEC play and they get beat up. And so, uh, you know, both of those conferences are absolute uh, gauntlets to get through. And so, I'm looking forward to hearing what Florida State has and what they run out there. But like I said, uh, all the luck in the world to Coach Mike Martin and, and what uh, what he's done for the game. And, and, and that would be a special poetic ending if he could somehow bring uh, the hardware back from Omaha and, and win a national title for the Florida State Seminoles. And um, my heart's out for that team, and, uh, and I wish them the best of luck. Well, with our last – Segment of the night, probably your favorite. You lock it up. And we're going to start off with a game that we've got tonight. Uh, the, uh, the games tonight are a little sparse. Not a lot on the docket tonight. But there is one game in particular uh, that is relatively intriguing. Uh, the Toledo Rockets. My hometown Toledo Rockets host Buffalo tonight. In Savage Hall Arena, back in Toledo, Ohio, and Toledo lost to Buffalo early in the year by a stretch of about 20, I believe. And uh, tonight is 
the ultimate revenge game for the Rockets. They're 20 and four on the year. They're playing uh, at an extremely high level right now. They've won five in a row, and they're pretty tough to beat uh, at home. Uh, that place is actually remodeled a few years back. Beautiful arena now. And uh, from what I hear, it's going to be a sellout crowd tonight. Uh, Toledo opened up at a two and a half point favorite. The line moved all the way to four as of now. And I really think the Rockets behind a stout crowd tonight uh, against a Buffalo team who's coming into uncharted territory, you know, haven't played uh, in a game of this magnitude against the Rockets uh, probably uh, in, in the last five, five or so years. And so I think Toledo comes out uh, with a chip on their shoulder tonight and actually shocks Buffalo and uh, beats them outright. So I mm. like, I like the Rockets tonight to take care of business at home and help out their chances to potentially get an at-large bid uh, in the NCAA tournament if they were to not win the conference tournament in the Mid-American Conference. Rhino, what are your thoughts on this game? God, I hate saying this, but Dewey, I completely agree with you in every facet. Um, I think, like you said, it, it, being being having home court is huge, um, but just – this situation in itself, like you mentioned, Toledo having a top 25 team come in here, uh, come into their place. You know, when you get into these smaller schools, these games are few and far between. And we're talking about years between the games. So this is this is a great opportunity to, to, for Toledo and their, their student body and their fans to show out. Um, I, I look for that place to be pretty rowdy. And I think Buffalo is going to be rattled the entire game. So I completely agree with you unfortunately. Yeah. I just, it could be a part of my, uh, part of my heart making this call, but I'm going to go with the hometown Rockets and eat the three points. Uh, next game up is tomorrow's game. The lines just came out hot off the presses. And as a reminder, before we get into the next game, all of these, uh, lines and, uh, and props that we like are strictly for entertainment purposes only. And if you are betting, please bet responsibly. Please bet responsibly. Going into our next game, it's a 12 o'clock noon game tomorrow uh, up in Ann Arbor. Uh, the Michigan Wolverines host the Maryland Terrapins. Michigan opens up as a early six-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, the Wolverines are always tough up in Ann Arbor. As we all know, uh, you know on this show, we think Beeline is the best coach in America, pound-for-pound, uh, and pound uh, I don't know how much disputing there is. The guy just can flat out coach. But uh, they bring in a Maryland team who is trying to move up the ladder. I really think they're trying to make a run. Hopefully they get a four seed in the tournament. Uh, I, I don't know if they're a four. I don't know if they'll end up being a four, maybe a five or a six. But a, a team that can give you problems. Um, their big boy down low uh, really does a good job and uh, has, a, has a somewhat of a bright future in the NBA. But, uh, Rhino, where do you see this game going tomorrow? Oh, I am all in on Maryland. I, I, I love them to pull the upset on the road. It's a big take, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Um, I love kind of this three-headed monster that Maryland has between Anthony Cowan, um, the guard, Bruno Fernando, as you had just mentioned, down low. And then they got it. Uh, Jalen Smith, who's kind of a, a – he can stretch the floor a little bit, but is a presence down low. Between those three guys, they can really take over a game. Um, and Michigan's just 
they've been scaring me a little bit uh, the past couple of games. They haven't been, I don't know if they've not been themselves or what's been going on, but um, you know, there is a, there is a, a chance that Michigan could come out um, and, and after that loss to Penn state, they could come out and just absolutely lay the wood on Maryland, but I, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to take Maryland at upsetting Michigan in an, in, in Ann Arbor. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think Michigan does win. They do not cover though. Uh, the, the problem that, that Maryland is going to pose tomorrow with Michigan is Bruno Fernando. Uh, I know I couldn't remember his name. Sounds like a soccer player, but with Bruno Fernando, he's going to give John Teske a lot of problems. Teske's uh, been vulnerable as of late and, uh, teams have basically, kind of isolated him and went right at him. And Fernando is a physical presence down low. He can also pass out of the block in the high post, which really opens up their offense. And so I do like Maryland uh, to, to uh, – I'll take the six and a half, but I do think Michigan squeaks out an absolute thriller of a game at, at the noon uh, at a noon tip tomorrow. I would tune in for that game. I think it's going to be a great basketball game. But I do like Michigan – to slide by, and I'll take, but I'll take Maryland in the six and a half points. Uh, the next game, we have three more games to get to. The next game is uh, Iowa State and Kansas State, two teams that are vying in the Big 12, which seems like nobody wants to really win. Uh, Kansas wants to screw around and lose a few games, and then, you know, you think Iowa State's got the bull by the horns. They go to TCU and they lay an – excuse me, they're at home against TCU and lay an egg. Um, and the team that I just keep coming back to and I, and I keep falling in love with just probably because uh, of their pedigree and what, what Bruce Weber's done is, is, is Kansas State. And I think K-State is going to cover uh, the three tomorrow. They're a three-point favorite against Iowa State. I think you get, you get Iowa State out of Ames – and they're just pedestrian. I think Kansas State uh, at home is not pedestrian. I think they play well uh, in inside that that little uh, that little arena. And I take Kansas State, and I'll eat the points. I think they're on a on a mission to take the 14-year run of Kansas of winning the Big 12 and snatching it from their little hands. And I believe. K-State wins tomorrow and starts marching towards a Big 12 regular season title. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think Kansas State's just going to start rolling. And, 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 yeah, like you had mentioned, they're, they're in a spot where they can take control because, like you had said, the Big 12 just been up and down. Right when you think you had a team that was going to take charge, they just fall off the wagon. So it'll be interesting to see. I do think they get the W, though, tomorrow against Iowa State. Real quick, uh, give me your take on Baylor, Texas Tech. Texas Tech opens as a seven-point favorite. Um, so I, I think Texas Tech has just been rolling. They had that bad loss to Kansas a couple games back, and you know, watching them against Oklahoma State just absolutely dominate the every facet of the game. I think that continues. I think Jarrett Culver stays hot, and uh, their defensive play is 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 above par. So. I think uh, they're going to go out and, and, and cover the seven points against Baylor. All right, and let's get to our featured marquee game of the night. Uh, I guess we could consider this our lock of the night. And it is Tennessee, the Volunteers, the number one team in the land, visiting 
the Kentucky Wildcats. Early lines look like Kentucky opened up as a three-point favorite at home at Rupp Arena. Rhino, what do you got? I've got Kentucky. I think they're going to go out there and they're going to, you know, three is a little little high, but I'm, I'm going to stick with it. When I first heard the lines, as, as you had just mentioned, the lines had just come out. So I was going to take Kentucky to win the game, but, you know, thinking about three points, I had, I had to take a step back, um, but I'm still going to go with it. Um, you know, they had that 10-game win streak snapped after the controversial loss at home to LSU, so I think this is a total revenge game. I think, again, this is another opportunity, as, as I had talked about um, last weekend with, uh, with Duke coming out in, on the national stage and showing who they really were. I think Kentucky can, can kind of push that LSU loss to the side here. Big Blue Nations at home. I think they can really show um, what they're capable of, and, and they could take down the number one team in the country. I think you are as far off on this game as off can get. This is a perfect game for the Volunteers. This is where they're made. Backs against the wall. A bunch of two- and three-star recruits out of high school. Rick Barnes has built this team into a well-oiled machine. And I don't think there's anything that's going to derail this team from running through Big Blue this weekend and plowing their way to the Final Four. I absolutely, positively love the Volunteers tomorrow, and I get three points. Hell, you can have those three points and shove them where the sun don't shine because I'm going to take the boys from Rocky Top to win outright and win convincingly by a half dozen tomorrow in Rupp Arena, and Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield will be the heads that will prevail as UK walks off the floor defeated. Give me hmm. all the Tennessee I can get, and that, my friends, is a wrap. We will see you again on Monday. Dewey, on Dewey. Monday. Yes. I, I just got a late text from Pete Parlay. This is interesting. Real quick before we hit the road here, Pete Parlay has a two-team parlay for the NBA All-Star Weekend. He's got the World All-Stars plus three and the uh, Rising Stars Challenge tonight, and then he's got Team Giannis uh, minus five or plus five and a half to win the All-Star Game. Now it's cheesy, you know. Everybody knows the All-Star Game is below par, but it should be interesting. That's what he's got. You lock it in if you want. Make sure you send Pete the gambling anonymous phone number. Thank you for joining us tonight. We'll see you back on Monday.